This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ash. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in South Dakota discussing a love triangle that ends in murder. Then, we'll talk about a couple that vanishes after a car accident. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Mount Rushmore State. According to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, domestic violence stems from a desire to gain and maintain power and control over an intimate partner. Abusive people believe they have the right to control and restrict their partner's lives, often either because they believe their own feelings and needs should be the priority in a relationship, or because they enjoy exerting the power that such abuse gives them. Abuse is a learned behavior. Some people witness it in their own families growing up. Others learn it slowly from friends, popular culture, or structural inequities throughout our society. No matter where they develop such behaviors, those who commit abusive acts make a choice in doing so. They also could choose not to. Anyone can be abusive, and anyone can be the victim of abuse. Abuse happens regardless of gender, age, sexuality, race, economic status, ability, citizenship status, or any other factor or identity. Feelings of confusion, fear, or anger are normal responses to abuse, but they may also make you feel isolated or like no one will understand. It's not as easy as simply walking away. When a survivor leaves their abusive relationship, they threaten the power and control their partner has established over the survivor's agency, which may cause the partner to retaliate in harmful ways. As a result, leaving is often the most dangerous period of times for victims and the survivors of abuse. So as far as I can tell, only one other podcast has covered this case so far. No crime junkies, my favorite murders or anything. That's kind of what intrigued me. But I hadn't heard about this case until I saw an episode of Raw Terror on ID. And I'll put that episode in the show notes for everyone in case you'd want to watch it. Jessica Goble was born on March 3, 1988 in Aberdeen, South Dakota. She went to high school in Langford and was involved in choir, yearbook, basketball, volleyball, and the senior class play. So she was a busy girl. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of stuff. She graduated in 2006, and then the next year she moved to Aberdeen. She had a few different jobs, including working at Kmart, Walmart, Quiznos, and Northern Beef Packers. In 2015, she was 26 years old and working at the Molded Fiberglass in Aberdeen. She had three children, and two of them were fathered by 33-year-old John Himminger. She and John had been in a relationship for the past three years, and it was not a good one. John was not a good partner, and he was known for repeated violence and controlling behavior. Jessica was super close with her sister Shannon, and Shannon could not stand John. She would always talk to Jessica about leaving him and would explain to her what he was doing to her was not love. She even gave Jessica an ultimatum that if she didn't leave him, she wouldn't talk to her again. 
But of course, she didn't really mean that. She loved her little sister. And she was just trying to do everything she could think of to get her to end things. Well, in December of 2014, Jessica had two especially awful incidents with John. He was charged with domestic assault on December 9th. And after his arraignment, he was not allowed any contact with Jessica. Jessica ended a relationship with John. And I'm sure she was terrified and that couldn't have been an easy decision. Right. Just two weeks later, he broke the no contact order and was facing two additional charges. He was used to being in control and he had lost it all. I feel like we constantly see people who break the rules Yep. Like, what do really no contact rules and restraining orders? I feel it's just a piece of paper, you know? Right. A few weeks later, on January 7th, 2015, at 2.02 a.m., John made a phone call to 911. He said that he had just been stabbed in the hand by a man named Richard Hanley, and he was on his way to the hospital. He said he was at Jessica's house when this happened. And they should go check on Jessica because he could still be there. So Richard was Jessica's new boyfriend. So the officers went to Jessica's home on North 2nd Street and found Jessica lying on the floor in a pool of her own blood, barely alive. She had been stabbed 26 times in her back and abdomen. She also had a fractural skull and brain injury. Her neck had been cut, and at least one of her lungs had been punctured. So this was just pretty much as bad of a stabbing as it could get. This is the part that I hate the most. Her two daughters were also in the home. One was almost three years old, and the other one was seven months old. They luckily were both unharmed, but... I mean, they're in the house while their mother's bleeding out. You know, that's, ugh. That's awful. Her third child, her son, who was seven at the time, was not there. But, ugh, that's just so terrible. Richard was nowhere to be found. Jessica was rushed to Avira St. Luke's Hospital and was later flown to Avira McKinnon in Sioux Falls with life-threatening injuries. So, in the meantime... An officer met her ex, John, at the hospital to get his story. He said he went to Jessica's home around 11 p.m. to get some clothes, and that even though they had just broken up, they were on good terms. No. He left out the part about Jessica getting a no-contact order against him, and he said that while he was there, Richard, her new boyfriend, attacked him, pulled a knife, and then threatened to kill him. Then... He gouged out Richard's eye during the attack, and Jessica took off running. And that's how he left things. So one of the detectives noted inconsistencies in John's timeline and thought something was off. John agreed to let the officers take his clothing and swab him for DNA. While one of the detectives was bagging John's coat, something caught her eye. She saw a knife handle in a pocket. Just the knife handle, not the the blade. So, there was blood on it as well. Obviously, a red flag. Later, this blade was found in the sink at Jessica's house. So, John was arrested. So, at this point, officers obtained a search warrant to examine John's phone, and they were able to find a lot of deleted messages revealing several recent arguments. So, 
John was obviously mad at Jessica's new relationship, and the day before the attack, he threatened to go to her house, kick down the door, and, quote, kill the dude with you now. I swear. What? And he deleted it, thinking no one's going to see it. They found it. I mean, deleting your text means nothing. It's a, Just leave it on your phone. Why? Yeah. Yeah. You're better off leaving it on your phone and trying to weasel then your way look out like of you're it. To hide yeah, something. for real. So they also discovered that around 6 p.m. on January 6th, the evening of the attack, Jessica made a series of calls to 911 dispatch. She first reported that John was fighting. She ended the call before dispatch could get more information. I'm sure it was chaotic. She called again and claimed John was not supposed to be there and that he was fighting one of her friends, assuming it was Richard, and then the call abruptly ended. She called a third time, and at this point, it took a different turn. She was she said she could not identify the individuals fighting and that John was not involved in this. So they're like, okay, bye. I'm like, she called three times? Right. And you never were like... Okay, she's lying to us. Something's going on. Well, the investigators were able to find Richard and learned he was in a hospital in Fort Yates, North Dakota, being treated for an eye injury. So something did happen to his eye. He said John went to Jessica's around 6 p.m. and John was pounding on the door. Jessica opened the door and John stormed past her and went upstairs looking for Richard. There they fought and John punched Richard in the eye. Then Richard ran out of Jessica's home to his mother's house, which maybe I shouldn't even say anything, but I'm like, why didn't you protect her? You know what I mean? No, yeah. I mean, he's a victim here as well, but I'm like, why didn't he call the cops? I don't know. I don't think he thought Jessica was going to die, but at the same time, I'm like, why didn't you call anyone? People just don't call the cops like we think they should. Yeah, it's, it's true. Cases. It's like, I don't know what was going through his head, but he ran to his mom's house and his mom was like, let's go to the hospital. Yeah. So they went to Fort Yates, which was around three hours away. Oh my God. But it's because he received free health services there. So, I mean, doctor's bills are expensive. So I guess that makes sense. I would have probably just said, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't want to ride three hours. That's a lot. But after the fight, John immediately went to a friend's house. He lived somewhat close to Jessica, the friend, Mm -hmm. and he and John had worked construction together. So when he went to the house, his friend's girlfriend was also there, and she talked to police about him. She told police he seemed agitated, and he told both of them about his fight with Richard, and he said that he had, quote, Fucked him up, and that he was going to fuck them both up. You know, very poetic. He also ended up spending the night there. Yeah. So police got permission to search the friend's home and found an opened black garbage bag near the entrance containing John's bloody work coat and a dish rag. And they found John's bloody boots and clothing. So he left all his bloody stuff there. Sadly, after five days fighting for her life in the hospital, Jessica died as a result of the excessive head and brain injuries. Mama of three babies. That's awful. This also meant that now, instead of assault and attempted murder, John was now being charged with first-degree murder. 
In South Dakota, premeditated and felony murder are both, upon conviction, punishable by the death penalty. Each carries a minimum sentence of life in prison. One of the most frustrating things about this case, I know I keep saying that, but he has a long rap sheet and has been hurting people, at least on the record, since he was 18 years old. His first assault charge was in May of 2000 when he was charged with aggravated assault and child abuse. Uh. When he was 18. It's... So according to court documents, John shoved one woman aside and then struck a second woman, first with his fist and then with a plastic lawn chair. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just... The second woman was holding his four-month-old son. The first woman was the mother of the infant. So it was like a mom and her friend, probably. So after the first blow, because, I mean, you're hitting a woman with your fist, the infant was dropped and picked up by another person in the house. So a man at the house finally pulled John away. And took him home. And then John ended up turning himself in at the sheriff's office. But this, he was 18 years old. This is not a good start to your adult life. No. So John continued to make court appearances on this case until into 2001. And by November, he was facing more serious charges of aggravated assault and attempted murder. So the attempted murder charge was later dismissed. And John pleaded no contest to a charge of aggravated assault. And was sentenced to seven years in prison. Later, John got into a fight with a guy named Raymond Bush. And during the fight, John stabbed him in the back. This guy. Yeah. Raymond lived. But John was sentenced to more time. And then was released in June of 2009. Also, based on the records, John had other incidents with Jessica. So, in 2012, he faced two counts of simple domestic assault. He was arrested and released on a $500 bond, spent 60 days in jail, and he had to complete a domestic abuse program and have no contact with her for one year. Believe it or not, he completed the year-long program, Hmm. which I'm like, okay, that's awesome. That's great. he's trying, (sighs) but no. But then it didn't, you know, it's like it didn't do anything. Well, and she probably thought... He's done all this. Mm-hmm. He's, he's probably, putting forth the effort. Yeah. I mean, I can see her brain thinking like. He's going to change. He's done a year yeah. long. He's on the right track. He's the father of my child. I, You know, two of my children. Mm-hmm. Let's try to work this out. So I can totally see why she wanted to give him another chance. When John went to trial, his defense argued that someone else killed her. <laughs> yeah. What? With all the evidence to say contrary, the jury was like, no, we don't buy it. He did it. We know he did. He was convicted of first-degree murder and will spend the rest of his life in prison. In 2016, he filed a request for a new trial and was denied. And I do want to end with sharing a little more about Jessica. She was a strong woman who was just trying to do the things for her kids that single moms end up having to do, you know? She was a good friend, mother, daughter, and granddaughter, according to her family and friends. Samantha, one of Jessica's co-workers, said that when she was at the molded fiberglass, she classified her as someone who was full of life. She even said that even when life seemed to throw her a curveball, she seemed to make the best of that day, and she always made the workday go by fast. 
Jessica was always asking how others were doing and loved her kids. She was the best mom she could be, as any mom is. Her former teacher, Kelly Mills, said that although Jessica could be stubborn at times, she had a heart of gold and a great sense of humor. She said, I can still picture her smiling and laughing on a daily basis. She cared for others and would do anything for her classmates and her friends. Her sister, Shannon, said that usually around Jessica's birthday, she buys cakes. On what would have been Jessica's 30th birthday, she bought 30 balloons. She also keeps a ton of pictures of Jessica in her house. And Jessica's children say that when they're there, they can feel their mom, which is just. And also, I love that her sister has all this up because her kids, you know, it's like they're missing their mom and her youngest didn't really get a chance to know her. So. They're learning about her through her sister, which I'm so glad that she's doing that. And I also wanted to remind everyone about the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can go to thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-7233. It's free, confidential, available 24-7. There are resources on the site to help identify abusers, a plan for safety, local resources, and ways to support others. I explored the site myself just to see what all they offer, and it really covers everything. And I use the court records as a main resource, along with the Aberdeen News, AP News, and the Facebook page, Justice for Jessica. Sad. That's so sad. Okay, so I'm sure your case won't be happy. No, it's not. Okay. It's a little peculiar. Oh, so this is the disappearance of Arnold Archambault and Ruby Brugier. So Arnold and Ruby grew up together in the Yankton Sioux Reservation, which is located in southeastern South Dakota. They met in high school and began dating. Arnold was raised by his grandmother after his mother passed away when he was a teenager. He was prom king. He played basketball for his high school and was chosen to play for the all-Native American team that toured the Soviet Union in 1990. Oh, wow. So he's kind of a big deal. He worked at the Fort Randall Casino. I mean, he had a lot of stuff going on. Ruby was a jokester, but very responsible. They had a daughter together who was born in 1991 named Erica. They did struggle because they were kids themselves. Yeah. But they loved their daughter and they loved each other. So Saturday, December 11th, 1992, the couple had been out partying with Ruby's cousin, Tracy. They went to Tracy's house to pick up their little girl. Tracy's dad had kept the baby so they could go out. He smelled alcohol on the three of them. And so he told them, just Mm. let her stay here. You guys go home. You can pick her up, in, you know, yeah, later or whatever. So they leave. Early on the morning of December 12th, 1992, 20-year-old Arnold and his 19-year-old girlfriend, Ruby, and her cousin, Tracy, who was 17, were driving along a remote section of the Yankton Sioux Indian Reservation. It was freezing. Mm. The road was icy. And the three had been drinking. And their car crashed on the slick roads, and they went into a frozen ditch. 
according to Tracy. We came up to a stop sign. There were no cars around and Arnold spun out. We've all been in the car with those guys when the roads are slick that try to hot rod. (sighs) Have you not? I have. I've been in the, like, up in Mountain Home when it would snow. Would y'all never go, like, driving around on it and trucks and all the things? Not really. I remember doing that as a teenager. So, like, I knew exactly what she was talking about. There's always, you know, you're going to try to do a little cat's ass. It's fun. Whatever. Next thing you know, she says, we ended up in a ditch upside down. Arnold wasn't in the car when I came to. I don't know where he was. Ruby was crying, saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. Next thing I know, the door was open, and she had enough room to slide out. I was going to reach over and try to get out myself, but the door shut. She never saw Arnold eject from the car or walk away from the scene. When help finally showed up, it was just Tracy in the car. What? She had been abandoned by her cousin, Ruby, and Ruby's boyfriend. Why did they leave her? Exactly. It, it appeared that way anyways. Police searched the area because they were worried that the two may have fallen through the ice somewhere with mm-hmm. all the water. Oh. But all the water was frozen. There oh. was no way they could have fallen through. Were there footprints? Nothing. They searched anyway across railroad tracks. They thought maybe they went off to keep Arnold from getting a DWI. But that didn't explain Ruby leaving her cousin out in the cold. Like, she wouldn't have left her. If he left, then why? Yeah. Or was ejected and she crawled out. It seems like she would have turned around and tried to help Tracy out of the car. She wouldn't have shut the door in her face and just disappeared. I can't even imagine. No. It just makes no sense. Yeah, I, I mm, very bizarre. I would, if my friend left me like that, could you imagine? I, I mean, would, I can't even. I'm already a petty Betty. I'm n- no. no, I'd never speak to you again. No. <laughs> so the family of Arnold didn't believe that for a second. Yeah, they knew him and knew he wouldn't run and hide. Mm-hmm. But no one had heard anything from him or Ruby mm-hmm. for the next three months. Every possibility was looked at, investigated, entertained. Nothing. I'm sorry. You probably already said this. Whose car was it? It was Arnold's. It was his car. His car. He just leaves it. Leaves it. Okay. And the girl in it and his baby is at yeah his yeah. uncle's house. That's mm-hmm. baby, infant baby. So they went to the media with hopes that publicity would help find some answers for the families. You know, they weren't having any legal or financial mm-hmm. issues. There was no no bad blood between them and anyone. It was just bizarre, the whole thing. So in early March, when the weather began to warm up and thaw out the frozen land, on one of these warm days, a passerby saw a body in the ditch. It was just 75 feet from where the car accident had occurred, and it was the body of Ruby. Had they not searched there? Yes. Everything was frozen over with water. There was no footprints. It's literally like they disappeared into thin air. And suddenly she's back. Three months later, they find her in a ditch, 75 feet from where the car accident happened. Her shoes were missing. Her glasses. She was hardly recognizable. She was, was wearing the same clothes she had been in the night of the accident. They were frozen, dirty, and tattered. 
Her body was very decomposed, Mm. and she was positively identified by a tattoo. The police department brought in pumps to drain the ditch and to search for Arnold and any evidence. Around noon the next day, his body was found about 15 feet from where Ruby was found. Submerged in water. What? But unlike Ruby, Arnold was in almost perfect shape. His skin color was fine. He wasn't frozen to the ground, neither were his clothes, which brought up the question if these were even the same clothes that he had on, or had he disappeared and changed? It's just, it's very weird. An autopsy determined that both had died from exposure. There was no way to determine the time of death, though. On March the 19th, eight days after they were found, the police department held a press conference and the family members of both Arnold and Ruby accused the police department of racism and incompetence. They asked if they had taken any pictures of the scene. The police said they had, but they were useless due to a processing error. What? Arnold's father said, it seems like you never investigated this to begin with, and you're trying to cover your asses. Ruby's sister said that Native Americans are overlooked and set aside when things like this happen. An aunt of Arnold's made a statement saying, if a Native American was charged with something, they are pursued heavily. But if they are a victim of something, it's not pursued with the same perseverance. That is so true, too. All that aside, they did agree with the police. Detectives did suspect foul play. They said there is no way that they were in that ditch for three months when they were missing. They had searched that ditch. Other people had too. Passerbys had ran along the road, ridden bicycles, rode horses. No one ever saw them, and they would have. It's not like it's no. down a ravine. No. It's in a ditch it's off the side of the road where you could wreck. What, yes, where people are traveling. <sighs> There's Yes. Mm. There was a man who had searched the same area when his hubcap came off of his car, and he saw nothing. Man. The police suspect that they did not die in the ditch. There was hair found along the side of the road that turned out to belong to Ruby like a clump of hair. What in the world, though? And it wouldn't have been there three months. For three months, a clump of hair? No. Who would have done it, though? Like, just some random guy that happened to be there at the same time? They think that someone brought the bodies back there and dumped them. And that's where the hair must have come from. Well, that makes sense that they were dumped back. But, like, what? I don't... They also found a set of keys in Arnold's pocket. They were house keys and a vehicle key. But to this day, they have not found any vehicle or house that they belong to. What? Yeah, no idea. Another revelation came out. A witness claimed to have seen Arnold with three other people on New Year's Eve, which would have been about three weeks after the accident, and she passed a polygraph. Ruby's father thinks that they had to have died somewhere else and were brought back to the scene to make it look like they had died there. Yeah. So Unsolved Mysteries aired an episode about this case on Season 7, Episode 18, and they said there are, or there were, 25 to 30 calls that came from that episode that were promising from viewers, but ultimately nothing of any value came from it. There was a lawsuit filed with the federal court over 
reservation boundaries and the FBI took over the investigation of the deaths. We still have no answers, and the case was officially closed in 1999. There was no evidence of any foul play or that any crime had been committed. The parents of the victims definitely think the police department did not look into their case like they would have if it had been white teenagers. And we see this Mm -hmm. over and over again in the media, even today. And it's one of my biggest frustrations To see these cases that have zero to little media coverage and others we see every time the news is on, like the cross-country road trip with the fiancé that Gabby Petito took and was reported missing. It was front page news. Yeah. It was all over everything. And this just reiterates why people are wondering why some get so much coverage And others don't when there are literally thousands of missing indigenous women. This has been happening to our people for hundreds of years, said Lily Mendoza, founder of Red Ribbon Skirt Society. It started happening from the first contact from colonization and has been happening for such a long time that I don't think people recognize it anymore. So the Red Ribbon Skirt Society is headquartered in Rapid City and advocates, supports, and educates about the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women, finding missing people and preventing the heartbreak of their families within the Indigenous community is the core of their foundation. We go to universities, colleges, community organizations, and schools, Mendoza said. We do a lot of work on awareness and education. And it is kind of evolving into the thought process of working with families and the process of grieving. Mm. So it's education and awareness. Yeah. So you can check them out on all the socials. It's Red Ribbon Skirt Society. And a little good news. Recently, the South Dakota Attorney General Mark Vargo has created a council to advise him on missing and murdered Indigenous women. And disproportionate percentage of missing people in South Dakota are Indigenous. Yeah. As of today, there are 103 people missing and Indigenous people make up 9% of the state's population, but 60% of the people missing. Wow. That's awful. The council consists of advocates, prosecutors, and law enforcement representatives for the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs, tribal and state agencies, as well as lawmakers. The council will advise the Attorney General's office on what protocols to create for the state's new missing and murdered Indigenous people office. The office currently employs one person, coordinator Allison Morissette, and a member of the Ogallala Sioux Tribe. She started in that position at the end of November The council is scheduled to meet for the first time on February the 14th. On June the 30th, they will deliver a list of goals and objectives. So that's awesome that they have finally have somebody in office Mm -hmm. that's looking at this and taking it serious and taking a stand. And because this is insanity. Yeah. And spoiler alert, we're covering Alaska next week. My case is about 
an indigenous woman in Alaska. So I had a lot of other facts about. Oh, good. It's just, it makes me like my voice crack because they really, and it's. And I don't have a, like, I have no leg to say. I don't know yeah. because I am a, a white girl. Yeah. But I can't imagine losing a child or a sister Mm-mm. or a mother or any, you know, a best friend and nobody giving a fuck. It's, yeah, I agree. It's just, ugh, it's infuriating. Anyways, let me, Lacey's got me a buzz and now I'm <laughs> <laughs> just tearing up <laughs> in my feels. Well, yeah, no, it's like, it's. I, it's just I have no awful, words. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an awful situation, awful case, and I'm so tired of hearing about it. And it's not even, yeah, you know what I mean. It's like well, it's I can't like imagine how North Dakota, South Dakota, feel. Montana, yeah. Alaska. I mean, all over. It's just it's awful. Yeah, I, now I'm like I want to talk about my Alaska case <laughs> because I'm pissed at <laughs> them. Yeah, that. I'll put a pin. I'll save. I'll save that rant for next week. But it's crazy that no, it's true. Like this case, even that people say that they saw them, and then they were found in different stages of decomposition. And I don't know. It just seems like here's my there's take. something missing. Aliens? No, not aliens. I thought um, aliens. Tbh. So. Mer- Maura Murray, that's instantly Mm -hmm. what I thought about when Mm -hmm. I heard they crashed, it's snowy, blah, 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 they go missing. And that's a case that got me into true crime. It's fascinating. I don't want to say I love missing persons, but like I just want them to get figured out. Like they suck me in. So that's every – well, not everyone, but people that listen to true crime podcasts, everyone knows who Maura Murray is. Sure. These two people? Nobody knows. No. I mean – Maybe people, some people out there, you know, I'm sure they have advocates, but like they're it not at the them, hype yeah. of Maura Murray. Right. And why? Right. You know? I think you know the answer to that. Yeah. It's just, and I want, I love that Maura Murray's is so popular. That's the, I love that Gabby's is so no, popular. That's what I, was I just say. want everyone to be that popular. Not taking away For sure. or yeah, saying yeah, yeah. that one is more yeah. important than the other. Yeah. But it's. It's not like I'm like, don't talk about her. I want them to, but it's right. like. Talk about everyone. Talk about everybody then. Everybody yeah. is just as important. Yeah. We're on our Dr. Seuss soapbox. Welcome to our soapbox. We we're are ranting. We are punching the air. We're punching. <laughs> oh, my elbow pop. Jesus Christ. That? Okay. It, it's, man. That was in my case. all real Go. mad. My next red. What do you have for me? Uh, Anything? Yeah. I Give mean, it to me. We're going to end on a bright note. So, you know, last week we had new patron, Brandy. Yes. But um bump she messaged us back. We love that. She's from Texas. Oh, cool. I haven't put her pin in. You're, you looked immediately. I She's not up there yet. But uh, she had a couple of fun stories about doppelgangers. Oh, geez. She just joined us, but she's Eek. caught up on the Patreon I episodes. Mean. So we love getting messages about mm-hmm. doppelgangers and stuff. But she said when her now 19-year-old was in kindergarten – one day he said, Mommy, I'm so embarrassed. You came to lunch and I waved at you. And then came I came up running to sit with you. But when I got there, it wasn't you. What? Well, then a few days go by and two other people said, Girl, are you okay? And she's like, Yeah, I hope so. Why? And they said, Well, we were waving and waving and waving at you, you know, at school. And you just looked at us like we were crazy. Like they didn't, she didn't recognize them. So at this point, Brandy had an infant and was at home with it. 
So she hasn't been at the school. And she said, unless you were in my living room, this was not me. And she had been getting this so often. I mean, by her own kid that thought it was her. So one day she went to the school to go try to find this woman for herself. Sure enough, she found someone that looked just like her. And she said that that lady was on a mission to find her. What? So two women at the same school had people had been confusing them for each other this whole time. And she said they became friends. And she loves her to the moon to this day. We and need to I, see a picture. I jokingly sent her a message, and I'm like, "But which one's the bad one?" <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> like, who's the evil twin? Yeah, send us a picture if you want to. So, Jeanette from California bought us some cocktails. I don't oh, know if fun. you saw that or not. No, I haven't. She said one for your birthday and one for her birthday. And one for Christmas and one for the New Year. She bought us several cocktails. Oh, fun. She's just like. Lacey's making all the drinks. birthday's here. But she said, try a lemon drop. And we love lemon drops. Oh, yeah, for sure. And happy belated birthday, Jeanette. She's a Capricorn. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And Cynthia M. is back with us on Patreon. I got it. Yeah, thank you, Cynthia. We get it. I mean, I've been a patron to podcasts before. I get it. Sometimes you need a break. For whatever reason. Sometimes you just don't remember to put your new credit card stuff in. That happens to me. But we're glad you're back. Yeah. And I think I've talked about this before. James, the guy that emailed us and said his favorite dental hygienists are named Ashley and Lacey. Did I tell you about that? Yeah. Which is so random. Well, he sent another email and he was like, okay, after he heard you talk about watching Twilight – it reminded him he got a personalized autograph of Kristen Stewart in 2005 before there was a Twilight movie. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say of Jasper. And I was like, <laughs> sir, if, if you, you don't have if that, you don't what's his name that? as an actor? What's his real name? Oh, something. Oh, Fairweather fan. Roth, but something. You're right. I don't yeah, know his I don't, first name. Hottie McCotterson. Uh, yeah, he said she had just done the movie Zathra. I've never heard of that movie. No, nope. but I he, bet Jason knows it. <laughs> he does. He sent a photo of it, and I can confirm it's true. She had his, has his name on there. Very Bada cool. Bing, boom. But I don't have any autographs. Do you? I have a ton. <gasps> really? I've met so many celebrities. I'm not. That is not a brag. No, no, no. It's yeah. just I've I get so. I've seen celebrities, no one that impressive, but like what I do is just take pictures of them. Well, this like was a creeper. before, right? This is yeah. before like cell phones and stuff. Like, I don't I think have, I had, I met anyone before. Like, I have, you Tom could take a picture Cruise's on your phone. autograph from when he was filming the firm because I was in Memphis. I lived there. You, you met him? Mm-hmm. I oh got his God, autograph. I was like a kid. So you were like, oh, he's tall. <laughs> I was, yeah, he's so tall. I was literally like a child. Okay. Well, that's cool. Um, a friend of mine's dad and Morgan Freeman own a couple bars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've met him several times and Ugh. been to like parties where there's been other celebrities. He nice. He is. Dot, dot, dot. He is. Okay. That's all I'll say. Okay. He is. Very tall. He's tall and Like, he doesn't look that tall in movies. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I guess I'd say he's around six foot if I just had to guess he's taller than that. that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You were that one super tall person that I went out with for Mm. a hot minute. Mm -hmm. He's like that Mm. tall. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. You wouldn't. But anyways. So, 
moving on. Okay. Remember I told you I was going to read books. Uh, good. I'm, I, I, and those two books. Remember those two yes, books? That, yes. Okay. I had it on my list. Ask Ashley about I her did. resolution. <laughs> so I sent. So I sent. So two very interesting books that were sent to us by listeners. The first one is The Man Who Shorted Out the Electric Chair Ooh. by Mitchell Simons. And our listener, Sam Johnson, sent that to us. I used to work with Sam a hundred oh, years cool. ago. And she is a listener. Oh, and hi, she Sam. sent us this book. And it has it all. It's got cannibalism, Ooh. serial killers, statistics. So it's separated into chapters. And each one has stories of specific crimes, like political crimes. So it's not about the same person. No, okay, it's like I haven't a heard of it. a bunch of different things, like one chapter, like I said, was like political crimes. Mm-hmm. There's a lighter side of crimes. There's con artists. Yeah. There's even a chapter on criminal trivia. Which, Bookmark that because we yeah. plan on doing some trivia in Little And some Rock. of those were <laughs> super hard. Like uh, We won't do hard ones. Three people who were tried after their deaths. or I couldn't even name one. Or eight criminals who had songs written about them. So these are like, these were hard. And then the answers are like... I knew that. Or, oh, yeah. But it's really. But if you don't have multiple choice, man. Right. Definitely recommend this book. But still bookmark that. (laughs) It's very interesting. Okay. And you can buy it on Amazon. Okay. You'll have to let me borrow them. Oh, yeah. I meant to bring them to you. And I was like, no true crime. But. This is not like that. Yeah. If it's a gift. (laughs) This is. I'll read it. But this is like. (laughs) For real, though. I don't want to say it's fun. It's a fun, easy read, but it's like when you go to bed and you just kind of can flick through. It's not like a novel no. where you... You're not going to lose yeah. anything if you don't. Okay. Yeah. I, see, I, and I you like can that. skip around. I and, like that. Yeah, it's really good. So the second book is called uh, The Road Death Traveled, Ooh. which was written and sent to us by Jason Pat, two T's, who has done it all. He was in the Navy. Mm-hmm then a corrections officer, a deputy coroner and investigator at the coroner's office, then a task force officer with the federal law enforcement agency. And in January of 2019, he became a diplomat of the American Board of Medico-Legal Death Investigations and is accredited by the Forensic Specialties accreditation board and so much more shit i'm not mentioning let's interview this guy it's a lot do you have his info i do and i'm telling you i would just get a t-shirt written with all this shit on it like you know how grandmas (laughs) have shirts that are like ask me about my grandkids and it's got all their grandkids names i would have one of those what's his name again his name is jason pat jason pat because he sent it to you not me i'm just (laughs) I would be I, – I want a T-shirt, for real. It says, ask me about my forensic accreditations, all of them. Yeah. So this book is – That sounds like – Sorry. It would be a fun interview. This book is really awesome. Okay. I'll have to read it. So each chapter is different. Mm. Um, it's a different case or crime that he's worked on, and it's in his words, which I dig. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some pictures of actual crime scenes. Ooh. Nothing gory. But interesting as fuck. Okay. There are some cases that make you go, Jesus Christ, that is weird as hell. And then others that make you, like, tear up that are heartbreaking. Where is he right now? Where does he live? I believe in Illinois. Um, 
10 out of 10 recommend this book. Okay. It's a great read. It's only 20 chapters, but it's 20 chapters of what the hell is the mm-hmm. next one going to okay. be about. Okay, that sounds good. You can purchase it online, also on Amazon. And I looked last night and it said, hurry up, only four left in stock. So get on it, people. So thank you so much. Did he autograph yours? He did. Thank you so much for sending us those books. We appreciate it. We'll link them up in our show notes. So like if you use Apple or whatever, if you click on our podcast and you scroll down, you see like what our episode's about, blah, blah, blah. And then you see like us on Facebook, yada, yada, yada. And then scroll all the way to the bottom. And we have a bunch of sources where we find stuff and we put any books or what anything, anything we recommend. We, yeah. yeah, we talk about it there. So it's really good. Sorry it took me so long to read these books, guys. Life um, is hard. But <laughs> for life. Though. And if you're like me and you said you want to read more the new year, yeah. these two will definitely keep your attention. And they're so good. Good job for finishing them. Yes, I finished them. So good. So good. And right now, I'm currently reading Mouse on a Motorcycle with the rest of Max's third grade class. (laughs) Love that. I've never... It's a child's book. They sent them home in the beginning of the year, and it's like, this is the book we're going to read for the rest, you know, like, the rest of the semester. How long is it? Is it like a book book? It's like, they have to read... It was sent home Friday, and you had to read the first chapter by Tuesday, and there was a little quiz, so I'm making Max read it out loud to me at Mm -hmm. night before we go to bed, and each chapter is like six or eight pages, so it's, it's cute. It's fun, so. That's good. Read, read Mouse on a Motorcycle with me. Highly recommend. Highly You'll recommend. have to give us there's a review. There's no motor, of that. but there's a motorcycle. There's a mouse and there's a motorcycle. <laughs> oh my! But I did just order um, "Beautiful Bad Girl," the Vicky Morgan story off Amazon, so it should be here mm. in the next uh, couple days. It's got she's a mistress and spas and presidents and all the things, and it's a true story, and it looks so good. So okay. I'm going to do book reports for I the love, next. I love, I'm there for it. We'll have to post, send some cutesy pictures, Instagram worthy of the books you just of talked the books about. I just and talked we'll about. It. Indeed. I'm about to fly to Miami, and while I'm on planes, I love reading. Oh, you should definitely take these books with you. Or you want an audiobook? Audio, just because it. I am just doing carry on. So I don't want any, I'm going to take a small book like that I have and then I'll do audiobooks. but I love listening to books while I'm flying. Just close my eyes, tune out the crying kid behind me. See, I can't do that. I have to, um, it's like my time where I, I'm not distracted. I don't have anything to do. Right. You can't do anything. I have a layover. Ugh. So yeah, I'm going to do all that. And I did want to talk about a movie that I watched that I liked. Jax, you watched it with me. Yeah, you did. The Menu on HBO uh-huh. Max. I'm done with this. So I really liked it. And I'm like texting everyone, watch this, suffer with me. I watched it and literally text our group at 10 p.m. I was like, Lacey Danielle. <laughs> I immediately wanted to say, I didn't do it. Because I'm like, what oh. is she talking about? But Samuel worked all weekend and I'm like, okay, sometimes I like a weekend in just alone. You know what I mean? I have all those weekends alone, bitch. I'm single. Well, I'm, just, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you mean every weekend for no, me? No, <laughs> but 
but it, I'm I'm all by myself. I'm eating pastaroni for dinner. It's yes, amazing. I'm like, yes. And I would watch the menu and okay, everyone don't, don't spoil it. Don't look up anything. Just watch it. They call it a dark comedy. I thought it, it's more dark than comedy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the movie was anything. I just watched mm-hmm. it because I like what's his face from the yeah. great on on yes. Hulu, Nicholas. Well, I, I like her. What's her yeah, name? Yeah, I like her too from the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Sorry, we don't yes, know these we people's don't know names. Y'all. We don't know you. Sorry, y'all don't know us either. Yeah. And it was freaking disturbing oh my God. as hell. I, I was just in the beginning. T- you're no. like, this is uncomfortable. Why? This is uncomfortable. This mm-hmm. is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what is happening? It's good, in my opinion. Watch it's it. my kind of freaky movie. That's your takeaway from this: is support Indigenous women. Read the books we just suggested. <laughs> watch the menu and come back next week when we're in Alaska and when Jax isn't meowing and Jax so much. Is not meowing. We'll kick him out next week and. Go to thehotline.org and learn more about domestic violence awareness. Even if you're not a victim, you know, everyone knows someone exactly. that's Even been you involved. Don't yeah. think you know them. You know them. You, know you just don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. We'll be back with Alaska. Bye. Bye.